I had to escape the Carnies after about a year and a half because, you know, the got owner threatened to kill me. Yeah, he tried to run over our friend Rebecca in his car one time. Everybody that came before me made it easier for me to do what I do. My friend Bobby once told me, why don't you try to do good tattoos instead of worrying about making a bunch of money? Tattoo is nothing more than a memento of an experience. My name is Steph Bastian. In my 10 years on the road, I've met many unique characters in the tattoo business, and they all have one thing in common, incredible stories. Stories of past times, personal growth, priceless experience, and of course, bizarre happenings. I want to share those stories with you. This is Tattoo Tales. Today we're in Montpellier after a funny weekend at the convention where I met with Scott Ellis and Omar Edmison, over 50 years of tattooing in between the two of them. Hi guys. Hey. Hey. How you doing? Good. How was the weekend? It was fun. Yeah, super, super good. fun. First time for you, Omar, in France, right? Yeah, the first time I've been in Europe. Yeah. So far, so good? So far, so good. Nice. Yeah, we've had a pretty good time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And you were coming sad. Yeah. You were coming from course. <laughs> yeah, we were in Corsica. Yeah, yeah we yeah. make we make party. Yeah. Nice. yeah. The French call it course. Right. Yeah. Like the other day we were saying, who was it? We go sport. We go sport. <laughs> we go yeah. sport. We go sport. We go party. We make party. Guys, would you like to give a little introduction, maybe starting from you, Omar, uh, by yourself for the people that are new? Uh so everybody's new for me, I guess. I'm just <laughs> I'm just a twenty-eight year veteran scab vendor. I do tattoos. Where are you from? Um, I live in Oregon. I have a shop called All American Tattoo in Salem, Oregon. I've had it for 15 years. And uh, how how did it start for you? This, because it was different when you when he started for you. It wasn't. Oh, I got dropped on my head a lot as a kid. Mm. That's that's why I started tattooing. Um, no, I walked into a tattoo shop almost 30 years ago looking for directions, and I found direction in my life, but never did find that pizza parlor I was looking for. That's a crazy, yeah. crazy direction you go. Yeah, I just walked in and I saw these guys on the other side of the counter and I grew up real poor and there was this these other worldly people on the other side of the counter. They were wizards. What shop was it? I was called Venice Beach Tattoo Studio. Okay. Um, and yeah, they had gold and diamonds on all their fingers and big fancy watches and pocketfuls of money and had a bitchin' lowrider or a motorcycle parked out on the curb, and I had a hot chick bringing him lunch. I was like, where do I sign up? <laughs> How do I get on the other side of the counter? <laughs> this is the life for me. And what did you do? I hung out. I hung out in the shop all the time. Um, I made a nuisance out of myself. How old were you? I was 17. Okay, so this is like, what, 80s? Uh, it was, yeah, 90, last part of 90. Yeah. I started tattooing professionally in 91. Okay. Um, I, I had done a bunch of hand poke tattoos. Like I grew up in a very small town, um, Grand Ron, Oregon. Uh, it's an Indian reservation and we did a lot of stupid hand poke tattoos. Like I did a lot of bad, I fucked my friends up for fun and profit yeah. in junior <laughs> high school and high school. Yeah. I'm sure you got stories. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean it's you know it's fun you know like 
But I'll like, every once in a while I'll run into one of those guys and they're like, man, you remember when you did this tattoo? It still looks as good today as the day you did. I'm like, it sure does. <laughs> it looks just as good today as it did just then. As which exactly is exactly as good. Yeah, which is to say not good at not all. Not very. Not very good at all. And where did you go from there? Um, I, had, I had an opportunity to play sports in college. Um, I didn't really want to go to college, but it, I wanted to get the get out of my hometown. I wanted to leave, uh, and that was a ticket out. It was a way to get out. Um, so I went to Southern California and started hanging out in this tattoo shop all the time. And you know, the guys would be like, "Go give me coffee, kid," or "Go give me cigarettes," or "Go give me this," or "Go give me that." And I was just, I was a gopher. I just, I made myself indispensable to the shop. And then one day. Uh, there was a guy selling drugs out in front of the shop, and the boss was like, hey man, ain't no place to set up a business. Hmm. The guy turned around and started to say something, I just walked out and I hit him. I just was like, <laughs> bam. And didn't say anything, just turned right, went back inside and started hitting on the chick I was hitting on before. <laughs> and like, the boss saw me do that, and he was like, all right, you're okay. I think, we'll <laughs> yeah, I think we can teach him out of that too. <laughs> we could probably teach him. So did he? He did. Okay. He did. Tattoo Bob. And he wasn't like, I mean, he was a very simple guy, you know, like was just a scooter tramp tattooer, you know, and did very simple stuff. He just did flash tattoos, uh, and hung out. And then I learned everything I could from him, which wasn't, didn't take that long. Um, and he sort of was like, okay, go away and learn more stuff. That's nice. Cause I mean. You know, it's an open, open attitude. Yeah, yeah, it was one of those things. So I just sort of, I started following the money. Like every place that I heard it was good, I would go there. Mm. Like, oh man, I got to go up and look at San Francisco because all those guys, like Eddie Deutsch and Scott Harrison and all those guys, like it was that era where like San Francisco was, they were pushing the boundaries of like what could be possible in tattooing. Uh, Marcus Pacheco, like all those guys were just like, holy shit, like, what? What are you doing? You is can't there, do that. That's there, not a skull. Is that possible? So that was really cool. And I just, um, any place that I heard it was good, I would go. And I ended up in Austin, Texas. I always refer to Austin as my hometown because that's where I became the tattooer that I am. I was struggling throughout everything. And then when I got to Austin, like I had been tattooing, but it wasn't until I got in real tight into a shop on 6th Street and was just in the trenches every day doing tattoos. Like My shift at River City was 10 p.m. till 4 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Um, but I would always go in because it was really hard to find parking and we had to make our own needles back then. So I would go in at 5. So I'd go in five hours before my shift started. And I'd go in the back and I'd be making needles and inevitably they'd want to go out to the bar and they'd be like, hey man, you want to finish my shift? And so I would just start tattooing. I'd usually start tattooing about 6, 6.30 and then I'd tattoo. The shop was open until 4 o'clock in the morning, but I never turned anybody away. And the bars close at 2.30, so a bunch of drunks would come out of the bars and they'd see the shop was still open and they would come in there just to sober up so they didn't have to drive. And then they'd sober up enough, they'd be like, well... Shit, I might as well get a tattoo. And there would be days where I'd tattoo till 9 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> you know? That's another yeah. world, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I don't... I, I, I can't remember the last time I heard anybody's like, oh, yeah, man, I tattooed around the clock, like, literally. We had... 
there was a, a motorcycle run in Austin every year, the Republic of Texas rally, and they would come down. I, I had all these guys from like Oklahoma and Kansas and stuff that would ride their bikes down. And I tattooed them the first year and the second year they all showed up and they brought all their friends to get tattooed by yeah, me. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and like, I had to work to those kind of customers down uh, there. We're like hanging out and like it got to be four o'clock in the morning and I still had 10 people to tattoo. And like the shop opens at noon, so the next, the first crew would come in at 11 to sweep and mop. I was still tattooing at 11 o'clock in the morning, and I still had two people left. To and none of, your, none of your co workers wanted to stay and help you? No, just no. me, solo. Yeah. Omar <laughs> and I were the guys, we were the mop up crew yeah. downtown. We didn't yeah. work at the same shop, but it was the same for me. Same dynamic. I, when I started, I had one shift, and I was like, okay, I'm cool with that. Vanessa had one shift for me. Yeah. And so I, I just went in on that day and I just put a note up on the calendar. I will always work for you anytime you right. call me. And I ended up working seven days a week, like yeah. right out of the bat because somebody was always, yeah. And everybody would leave. Yeah. I'm going to go, I want to go see clutch next door. Yeah. Emos. No, I'm cool. cool. I got your shit, yeah. man. No I problem. I, I, I'm can, here. I got the clutch CD. I can, <laughs> I, I can hear it through the wall. It's through yeah, the alley. Exactly. Yeah. I'm like, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> Where did you start? Where I you, started in Austin. Where are you from? Uh, I'm from Arlington, Texas, which is a, a suburb of Dallas. So I've got kind of the opposite story. Um, it's kind of funny. Like we have this friend, Bobby Love, who became a monk. And, and I asked him one time, like, or maybe I asked you, one of, the, one of the two, how do you go from being a tattooer to becoming a monk? And it was man searches for God and found <laughs> yeah, it. And, and that's how he became a monk. And it's funny because like Omar and I have two different backgrounds. But, you know, I came from the suburbs and I was trying to get out of my own version of poverty, which was like, uh, I don't know, like a cultural or spiritual poverty because the suburbs for me were just like complete hell. I was the only kid that there was maybe one or two others that were artists. So we were always just the weirdos, you know, nobody understood us. We didn't understand them. I didn't understand why everybody wanted to go to the football game. Like I wanted to smoke weed and draw. That's all I wanted to do. Um, so I was trying to find a way out of that. Um, and my parents wanted me to go to college and I didn't really want to go, but I didn't really know what else to do. You know, I'd, I'd gotten one tattoo, oh, I don't know, probably in like 1990 or something like that. So I kind of like got this little glimpse of the tattoo shop and I thought it was super cool and like I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I had drawn on my friends when I was a kid, you know, even in elementary school. So I had a little bit of an interest, but in the suburbs, you don't have tattoo. We had Randy Adams and Papa Son had right. the shop oh, yeah. in, in, uh, on Division Street there. Um, Randy's, but it was, Randy's still there. Yeah, well, he's in Fort Worth now. Yeah. But, uh, but that shop was, I mean, it was literally too scary to go into. Like, there were no windows, really. Like, right. it just said Papa Son tattoo. You heard all these stories about the guy. Like, you know, that you'd get thrown out if you said the wrong thing. Or, you know, you might get beat up. Or, you know... If you pissed them off, they just stop in the middle of your tattoo, take your money, and send you home. <laughs> Which happened to a friend of mine. Yeah. He, he was getting a skull on his chest, and like Randy had shaded in about half of it. And then he's like, puts his machine down. He's like, "All right, we're done." He's like, "Hey man, aren't you gonna shade in the rest of it?" He's like, "No, you ran out of money. Money's done. You can come back." And it was just like the ear. It was like one of these like zombie kind of skull things. And it was really just the ear that wasn't shaded. Yeah. He's like, "Yeah, you come back. How much is it gonna be?" Shop minimum. And he, he didn't ever go back to get it done. So I always had this tattoo with a little outlined ear. But anyway, like, so I didn't really, I never went in there. And then when I went to get my first tattoo, we went there, but they were closed. And so then we went to the Fort Worth Stockyards and there was a guy and he, uh, he'd been tattooing for a really long time. I can't remember the guy's name. It's been too long. 
but uh, he had his daughter. He had taught his daughter to tattoo. So his daughter did my tattoo. I remember people talking about how you could get like hepatitis from getting a tattoo and stuff. I asked the guy, hey man, uh, you guys are, I didn't even know the words to you. You guys are like clean and stuff, right? And then he's like, come over here. And he opened a stainless steel uh, tray and I looked in there and there was some pink liquid and some metal <laughs> metal things that I'd never seen before in there and I just looked at it. I looked at him, he was just looking at me, he didn't say anything. And I looked and I was like, that shit looks pretty clean. Yeah, man. that looks legit. <laughs> <laughs> so he had his daughter do the tattoo on me. I think she was learning. Uh, but it was cool. It was the little vulture sitting on the branch, you know. It's 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 been covered up by now, but I kind of wish I still had it. Back to the story, you know. I was I was just trying to get out of that version of hell on earth for me. So I went to school. It has to be art school. And my dad's like he's he grew up poor and pulled himself out of poverty by you know going to college and like becoming an accountant and stuff. And he's like, well, you can go, but you're not going to be some goddamn painter or something. You can't make a living doing that. You got to do something like graphic design. That's where you can get a legitimate job, you know? So I said, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll do that. So I went and, you know, I did the bare minimum. I got the grades that I needed to get to not, you know, be cut off. And then I finished my last year. I went to an internship at a graphic design shop and I saw these dudes in there. And like, I came in one day and one dude had clearly slept there the night before. His hair was all pushed down, you know, wearing the same clothes he was wearing the day before. And I never wanted a real job. Like, I, I worked for myself since I was a little kid. When I was about 12, I took my parents' lawnmower and you know, asked people if I could mow their yard to make money and bought a 1983 Gibson Explorer purple sunburst with my own money. It was like $1,000, you know? Then I got a job at the convenience store. It was like a bait and tackle shop. We, we lived by a lake. They did barbecue. So you made barbecue sandwiches and like pulled the Cokes forward before they had the kind that does it automatically. Stock the cigarettes. We'd go check the briskets, and that would be our cue to go in there and smoke weed. And they pay me two bucks an hour under the table. So even from my very first job, I was sort of destined to do the tattoo job, you know, like jobs were working for me. So then, uh, you know, I, so I, I hated the idea of graphic design, that there's no way I was gonna do it. But my parents had paid for me to go to college, and I felt kind of guilty. Not super guilty, but a little bit. You know, I had told them that, that I didn't want to go. Uh, so I was playing, I was playing in a band in college and we moved down to Austin and that was sort of my little escape, you know, put some distance in between me and my family, you know, so there wasn't any pressure about them, you know, hey, did you get a job yet? You know, I'm the kind of person I go to a town, I get a job the first day I went to the, I'd, I'd done a moving and storage Atlas van lines before. So I went to Atlas and I was like, Hey, I'm, you know, you guys need help. I got experience. When can you start? I was like, I got my lunch with me and a bottle of water. So let's, how about right now? And he sent me, uh, sent me back in the warehouse and met this guy. And uh, the guy, first thing he said is, hey, did you just get out? And I said, uh, out of where? And he just like, ha, 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 I guess not. Most of us are on work release here. So, <laughs> so you know, and I was like, ah. Oh. And all of a sudden I, just, I felt like, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. good here in Austin. I can do this for a little while. Then my friend had gone into a tattoo shop to get a tattoo that he had drawn. And uh, one of the guys working there said that they were looking for an apprentice. But then he told me about it, and then I just flashed back to the Fort Worth stockyards, getting my, you know, getting my first tattoo. And I was like, that's what I'm looking for right there. Because you know, when I was doing graphic design, I, I thought I was going to get out of college and like I was going to design Metallica's next album cover, you know, Megadeth, you know, something like that. I didn't know that you were going to design like apartment. Low, apartment complex logos or like right. you know Billy Bob's lawn service you know flyers that he was gonna pass out 
So it wasn't what I was looking for at all. And so I thought, fuck, yeah, man, tattooing, that's it. That could be wow. super cool. So I went down there and I met Ed, notorious Ed Potter. And he's, uh, I don't know, when he started in the late 60s or something like that. I, th I think, I mean, him and Charlie were doing, like, home tattoos. Yeah. You know, because they were both, they were outlaws. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They were wanted federal fugitives and bank robbers and shit like that. Plus, you can't believe and anything he told you. If he told you he started in 1955, right. you know, yeah. I would have believed him. So, right, yeah, you yeah. Know. I would, honestly, I would guess that, lot, like, Ed probably started in shops, like, in the early 70s. Early 70s, yeah. 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 It, it, the funny thing was, is, like, because I remember learning from him, and he's this little tiny wizard guy with a long gray beard, and, hey, hey, talk like this, and always wore this little hat. <laughs> and he looked like, I, I remember him being super old when he taught me, and then, like, 20 years later... He wrote me and told me that he was going to have his 65th birthday party. And I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. You're only 65? I thought you were 65 when you were teaching me, man. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He was younger than us right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When we worked for him. Yeah. <laughs> but I went in there and I met him. And uh, he just, it was really funny. Like, he's just like, do you know how to draw? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know how to draw. And he's like, draw me a rose. And I drew a fucked up looking rose. I was like, I don't know if I've ever drawn a rose, you know? Because I did it the completely wrong way. Like, I would never have gotten into tattooing if I had to start in 2019. Nobody would give me the time of day. Uh, but back then, it was totally different. Like, you would take any opportunity that you could get, and there weren't very many opportunities. I mean, I think there were only 25, 30 shops in Austin, if that, in 94. There might not have even been that many. I don't many. think there was that many. You know, there might have only been, like, you know, a dozen shops. Now there's probably 200 and something yeah. there. I, I don't even know how many there are. But anyway, you, you know, draw a rose, draw a skull, whatever. And he's looking at, over my shoulder and he's like, yeah, you're pretty good. <laughs> and I was thinking like, really? <laughs> cool, this is good. All right, sweet. I'm good. You're right. This is going to be um, fine. And then so I had to pay him a bunch of money. I had to agree to pay him a certain amount of money every week. You know, they're going to take 50% of whatever tattoos I did plus my, uh, you know, weekly payment to, to Ed. I was stoked, you know. Oh, you and you bought, you, you know, you gave him the money to buy your equipment, but the equipment didn't belong to you. So you get one precision swing gate from National, one grip, and then Ed made the tubes. He made the tubes himself, and, and uh, he put the tube and a three-needle liner and a seven-round shader in a little pack, dry heat sterilize it. Now, so you put your own, own grip on the tube, and then, you know, when you finished, uh, when, you, when you need to shade it in, you take out the liner, put the shader in, and then you'd spray your grip down after the tattoo with some alcohol and like get ready for the next, the next person. Yeah, because yeah. hey, alcohol kills, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nothing can live um, it. So I hung out there for, I don't know, I can't remember how long before I did my first tattoo. It wasn't long enough, I can tell you that. I watched him tattoo a lot, then you know, they, then they let me set up, set up everybody for a while. Uh, and then one day he called me and he's like, hey, he called me Dred Scott because I had dreadlocks. Hey, Dread, you ready to get some blood on your hands? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay. Be down here in 15 minutes. I got you. I got you a mark. Because <laughs> he was a carny, so you're a mark or you're a carny. So, got you a mark. Come on down. So I was sitting in there. It took me like 30 minutes to set up the station. I was so fucking nervous. Fucking making mistakes. Can't remember how to do it. And then every time somebody would come in the door, I'd glance over. Oh, it's a nice looking young lady. Maybe it's, maybe it's her. Yeah, it'll be her. I'm going to do my first tattoo on her. 
And then somebody else came in, went them. Then this dude that looked like a, I don't know, like a mulatto Tex Cobb with a bunch of terrible tattoos and a wife beater shirt and like kind of a frizzed out kind of half afro walked in. He was about six feet five from what I remember. <laughs> uh, and he just walked straight up to Ed. Hey, Ed, who's going to do my tattoo? I was like, fuck, no way, man. On my tombstone, got killed doing his first tattoo. You know? uh, <laughs> I was fucking tripping. And then so then he wanted a kanji, but he wanted it filled in with colors. And I just remember we filled it in with some green and some yellow. And I couldn't figure out why to come. I mean, I was rubbing it around like just like Ed did, and I'd wipe it away. There wouldn't be any color in there. And then the guy, it was cool. The guy could the guy could kind of help me. I was doing it on his shoulder blade, but he had had so many apprentice tattoos that he I remember him telling me, Hey man, stretch the skin a little harder. Hey man, push it in a little harder. Don't be afraid. You know, he was kind of helping me out. So yeah. it turned out kind of cool. And I think the tattoo was all right. Saw it after it was healed and kind of looked like a tattoo. But I, at that point, I wouldn't have been able to tell what was a good tattoo. So yeah, that's, that's how I got my start. And then, you know, I kept doing a few more apprentice tattoos. And then very quickly, they threw me to the sharks, you know, like gave me a little portfolio with some tattoo pictures in it. Tell the guys you've been tattooing for a year and a half and you're good to go. He, he called after my first tattoo. He called his kind of what his, what would you call Mike? His handler? Kind of like right. his handler, his yeah, yeah, his yeah. Pimp. yeah his the guy, pimp. That, the guy yeah. was actually the owner of the shop. Ed was just the master tattooist. They had a bunch of apprentices. It was a bit of a bit of an apprentice factory, you know, because well, it was a school. Yeah, like everybody, kind of school. everybody complains about tattoo schools now, mm -hmm. but like they were running a tattoo school in the fucking early nineties. Yeah, like, that's what yeah. it was. Like, yeah, there was like those weekly meetings where everybody had to show up. That's right at underground. Yeah, where it was like, and I'm like, dude, I'd already been tattooing for like four or five years when I showed up there. Mm -hmm. I worked at the same shop for a really short short amount of time before I was just like, yeah, this is bullshit. I'm out. <laughs> I gotta go. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the story that a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people came, came and went. And I, I managed to last for about a year and a half there, I think. It's kind of hard to remember. And in that year, I, they had four or five shops in town and I worked at all of them at some point. Yeah. But yeah, it was cool. I mean, I just remember looking at the, you know, looking at the walls with all that tattoo brand flash. Mm. It's like, man, I hope somebody comes in and gets that turtle with the Polynesian design on its back. You know, you try to push people to it, to all your favorite ones, the big dragons, you know, you wanted to get a chance to do them. It was super cool. Years later, I looked on eBay to kind of check out some of the old, who's, who's selling the old tattoo brand stuff, you know? And man, I just had like a flashback and I just got that feeling, that really excited feeling of, fuck, man. I hope somebody gets the dragon today, you know, like, right. man, it, you can just feel it in your bones. It's yeah. su super cool. It was really exciting for me. You know, I felt like I had finally found the thing that I, that was always, I never knew what it was, but then when I found it, I knew that that was it. Yeah. You know? There's like a tuning fork that goes off. Yeah. And you're like, oh shit, I'm in tune. This is this my spot. Is it. This <laughs> is it. This is This is what I'm here for. Yeah. Yeah. And along the way, you met some of the most interesting people. That's one way to put it. Yeah, right? I've met some interesting folks along the way. Um, I mean, that was part of my journey. Like, I was always really fascinated with the history of tattooing because everybody that came before me made it easier for me to do what I do. Like, I couldn't do what I do the way I do it without Jack Rudy, without Gil Monty, without Lyle Tuttle, without Bob Shaw, without... Diamond Glenn, without Fat Cat, without all these guys, Asa Lee Crow. And so I would just, I would just go and I'd seek these people out so that I could get to know them. Getting to meet Roy Boy Cooper was one of those things like, cause I was back when they had magazines and that was all the information you had. And it was almost like today, it seems like a bummer to me that youngsters who are starting to tattoo 
they have all this information. There's all these websites and there's TV shows and there's Instagram and there's this and there's that. And it's almost like they're, it's too easy. Like mm-hmm. they're flooded. They're not having to actually like study and seek out like, okay, who did that? Like, what is that? So once a month you got a magazine, if you were lucky, or you could find a sweet stop and rob store or someplace that had outlaw biker tattoo review and tattoo. Yeah. And you're like, you get two. what? <laughs> two? Yeah. Um, Cause I remember when like just easy rider would put out a tattoo issue and that was, that was twice a year. So you got two tattoo magazines a year. They would do a special tattoo issue. And there was Gil Monty was in there. Yeah. Randy Adams was in there. Roy Boy Cooper was in there. Like all these guys. So that's where I started going like, oh shit, like, okay, this guy. I need to learn like who is this guy? Where is he? Where does he work? Yeah. How can I get there? How can I get to know them? I mean, I'm kind of like, I'm interested in, in the history of lots of things. But like for me, my love of tattooing easily translated into wanting to hear those stories. And it's funny because like, I'll tell my stories to young people that are like, oh, that's crazy. That's insane. I'm like, and my stories seem really, really tame to me compared right. to the stories that I heard from the generation before me. I came in at the tail end of like throwing bricks through the front windows of shop. I've seen it. Asa Lee Crow III was, it, Lyle Tuttle taught Asa how to tattoo. On my portfolio, it says Jet Set Hobo. And like, I stole, that's Asa. That was Asa's tagline. Asa Lee Crow, Jet Set Hobo. Asa was one of those funny dudes. Like he would go buy like, like a $25 cigar, like in the sixties. And that was like a big deal. Like $25 a stick was crazy expensive. And he'd like light it and he'd take like four pulls off of it and he'd put it on the curb. He'd be like, boy, you, you know what that is? I was like, what? what? And he's like, that's a hobo's dream. <laughs> Somebody's gonna come along and find that, you know, and he would do that. But he was also the dude that, like, if he was walking along and there was a cigar butt on the curb, he'd just pick it up and light it. He had both sides of that. Like, and Asa was, he'd been in the Marine Corps. The story goes that his unit was the unit that went to Cuba during the Bay of Pigs, but Asa wasn't there because he was in the brig for assaulting an officer. And he maintained until the day he died that, like, if he had gone, they would have won. <laughs> and and having met Asa, I I can't disagree with him. Like I mean, it, it, if he had been there, things might have gone differently. Have gone you know, differently. like he was just one of those dudes. He was it's funny because Asa was everywhere I was right before me. He worked for Doc Dog, and he worked for Diamond Glen, and he worked with the Potter Brothers, and yeah. he worked with like all these guys. And so he was he was there. You know, so he was always sort of in my periphery and my brother and I decided we're going to go get tattoos. And so we went up to Portland and we went into this one shop that we had heard about that was fancy. It was like, you know, like late eighties, like kind of artsy tattoo shop. And we're like, Hey man, we want to get tattooed. And they're like, man, we're full up tonight. And I was like, you could go over to actual fine art. And, uh, cause I think we were at just a touch of class. It was that was Marcy's shop, but like Lion King had a shop called Actual Fine Art. And the guy's like, yeah, man, it's still pretty early. Crow's probably not too loaded yet. And we're like, okay, so we go over there. And we come in, like the shop's really dimly lit, and there's all this flash everywhere. And like Lion had built a stage in the middle of the shop. So the tattoo area was like elevated, and you could walk all the way around it. It was kind of cool. And there was a little back room, and you could see this little flickering black and white TV set. And there was like uh, one of those fold out tin uh, TV trays that had like a bottle of old, old crow on it and like a glass. And we walked in and we just heard, <coughs> guy comes walking out. He goes, what you boys need? And we're like, you know, we're kind of getting tattoos. Like, yeah, but yeah, but what? You know, I'm like, come on. He's like, my brother's like, I kind of want to get a panther. He goes, no, 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 no. You don't want a kitty cat. Purr. What you need is a spider. 
<laughs> Spiders are tough. <laughs> and then years went by, and it was funny because, like, when I worked for Gil, he told me a story about, like, he had worked with Asa when he was really young. Like, when he, he had only been tattooing for, like, six months or a year when he met Asa. Gil got really famous, and he does skulls. The skulls with eyeballs in them. That's what he's really known for. Like this one right here in my hand, which they can't see because it's, it's an audio podcast. It's a radio. It's a radio, yeah. Uh, there's a skull with flames and eyeballs on my hand. Googly eyes. Uh, yeah, googly-eyed biker skulls. Uh, so Asa walks up to him and goes, Negro, I cannot believe you are a famous tattoo man. All you do is skulls. I too want to be a famous tattoo man. From now on, all I'm going to do is spiders. <laughs> Negro, I can't believe it. Famous tattoo man. Oh, aren't you cute? <laughs> yeah, I feel sorry for, in some ways, like for people that start starting tattooing in this generation, you know, this late. What what stories are they going to have? I mean, okay, every everybody's going to have their own version of like, oh, the one guy that was really weird or that had, you know... Told the best stories, but it feels like it's never gonna be as cool as that, you know. And also, like you were talking about the tattoo magazines and waiting for the tattoo magazines to come out. Yeah, I remember that shit. Also, kind of feel sorry because like instant gratification is it's cool. I mean, it's doing great things for like the art of tattooing, but there's something missing when you just have stuff images flying at right. you all day yeah, long, yeah. and you don't have that feeling of like looking for all oh, the next. You know yeah. what? You know what? A friend of mine was pointing out. I think that has a point that. Like he says, or you say, when you have a magazine and it comes out once a month and you're waiting for the next, you're going to know by heart every single inch of every single picture because That's you right. look at that picture for a month and mm -hmm. you're studying it. So by the end of the month, you know exactly every single line and shading on mm -hmm. that fucking tattoo. Now, when you have, it's just logic. You know, when you have a million pictures, you cannot mm -hmm. focus on each one, you know, so you just go yeah, like, nice, yeah. nice, 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 but you're not really looking at it. I moved to Prague. I had to escape the Carnies after about a year and a half because, you know, the guy owner threatened to kill me and all this stuff. Some guys had like the shut usual. down. The, the usual. usual. Yeah. But the, yeah, he tried to run over our friend Rebecca in his car one time and then I didn't know, like he was, he was all bark, you know, but I didn't know that because he was right. pretty, no, he didn't want to take a chance, you know, and I'd, I'd he seen. Conve he conveyed a certain image. Yeah. Right. I had met a bunch of his, his friends were way meaner than him, you know, but anyway, I had to get out. Some guys had opened up a shop, taken some stuff from the Runberg shop where we worked up there in, uh, in North Austin. They had taken some stuff. I think they took like a, I don't know. Some supplies and shit, I'm not sure. Or they didn't, and he just said they did. No, mm -hmm. Nobody knows. But I took my equipment, which was also against the, the rules, you know, because I paid for that shit, and I did a bunch of tattoos for those guys. So I took my equipment and left, and I'd broken up with my girlfriend. I'd quit the band, and I'd quit my job, and I just found myself, like, kind of standing there with a fucking big knot of money in the back of my pocket because we worked so much that you didn't even have time to go to the bank. Right. Yeah, you're like... Yeah, I'm sleeping in the morning because I worked until five in the morning. And then when I get off, the banks are closed. So, like, I had all this money. And, you know, today it probably, you know, it wouldn't be that impressive. Maybe it's several thousand dollars or something. But uh, at the time, it was like, man, I was like rich. I ended up in Prague and just fell in love with Prague. I had some kind of like connection to Prague. So, I, at that moment, I just thought, well, I got to go somewhere. I need to get out of Austin before these guys kill me. So, I'm going to go to Prague. And I'm just going to hang out. And some of the guys I was in the band with were like, yeah, we're going to start something new. It's going to be so cool. But everybody had like substance abuse things going on at that point. And like, I wasn't sure if they were ever going to do anything other than a bunch more drugs. So I went to Prague just to kind of like get away, see Prague again. 
And then I met this Swedish dude, Mats, there, and uh, he was working in a shop. I started right away, got my somebody to send over my equipment, and started tattooing there. Back to the magazine thing, there was no internet. I mean, it was 1994. I think there was possibly internet already other places, but not in Czech Republic. I know, I know the guy <laughs> yeah. that started the first internet service provider in, in, uh, in Prague. And uh, it was a while before, before that kicked off. So what I had for reference, because you know, I didn't have a collection of Flash, you know, I wasn't smart enough to like photocopy all the tattoo brand stuff before I left. So I had the little Spalding and Rogers catalog right. where the designs <laughs> yeah. were like approximately like, you know, a quarter yeah. inch tall, you know, a year's worth of international tattoo art when Jonathan Shaw was, was uh, editing oh. that. So what I'd done is I had just cut all the, all the spines off. I made a little hard, hard cover book and used a industrial rubber cement and glued all the pages in there and that was the, that was the tattoo bible that mm -hmm. I, that we had at the shop for the you know pretty much the whole four or five years that or I guess four years that I had it yeah you want an octopus cool there's like three of them to choose from in there we're gonna do <laughs> one kind of like that and that yeah. was it you know so your tattoos weren't maybe that interesting or, or very cool because you had such a limited amount of stuff to, to use but like you said Steph we knew we knew those designs like the back of our hand you know that was, yeah that was the thing like when i would get like i didn't go to art school and i didn't really know how to draw like i would kind of fool around and like doodle like all ch all children do but like i would get those magazines and i would look through them and i would comb through them and then i would find the tattoos that i really liked and i would try to figure out why i liked them and so i was now i think i'm like i was reverse engineering them Right. Like I would just, exactly. I would redraw those, those pictures mm -hmm. and be like, Oh fuck. Okay. You know, I'm going to do this and, you know, do that. And then like, try to figure out like, what, what is it about this? Why, why is that dynamic? Why am I drawn to that? Before it was just, it was tattoo magazines run by motorcycle magazines. Mm -hmm. And so. Paisano publications. <laughs> Paisano publications. <laughs> you know, and like not to downplay them at all. Like Billy Tinney made a bunch of careers. Billy Tenney, for those who don't know, like, is a photographer and he's still active. He's still around. He's still, I just saw him in Austin in January. Mm -hmm. Him and his wife, Tammy, like Billy's been the head photographer and the, and the editor of Tattoo Magazine since 89 or something, mm -hmm. you know, and he's made, and he's probably taken some of the best photos that have ever been taken of me, mm -hmm. you know, like as a young man. But it when Jonathan did international tattoo art it was so different like it was clean mm -hmm. and like the layout was different and the paper was better and like yeah. it was shiny and it was Jonathan had lived a bunch of tattoo history already but he was fascinated with the the cultural impact of of tattoos in, in other places not just the United States or not just England you know like I remember reading articles him and Hanky Panky and Anthony Kiedis from the Red Hot Chili Peppers went to Borneo <laughs> and like took a canoe up, up this river and got tattooed in the fucking hut you know I'm just like yeah. are you fucking for real you can do that <laughs> like Jonathan there's, there was pictures like Jonathan like tattooing Indian people like in the gutter like in India with a little like set up like sitting mm -hmm. cross-legged like tattooing people in the street but yeah I mean Jonathan did all this research and it was like interesting because there was so much history really well thought out well researched history and it was the first time that that was readily available to read like because otherwise it was always an oral history i mean that's mm -hmm. the interesting thing about doing podcasts like this 
where we're getting these stories down, we're, we're having this discussion, and like, and then it's there for odd infinitum, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but Jonathan really did that and made it marketable and made it more readily available to people like me. You know, he was also putting the newest, freshest, you know, like you were talking about the guys in San Francisco in right. the early 90s. Yeah. Like, he was putting all that stuff out. And that was yeah. stuff that you weren't really seeing in the, yeah, yeah. In the other magazine. You would send in photographs. You had to, open. for Tattoo Magazine, you had to send in slides, remember? Like, oh, it yeah. couldn't be a photo. Like, yeah. it had to be a slide. I never sent in any, yeah. any slides. It had, to be a, it had to be a slide. So you would have to, you would, like, take pictures with your film camera. And it had to be slide film. So you would have two cameras. You'd have one that you'd take a picture of it for your portfolio for the shop. But then you'd like, if you really liked it, you'd get the one that had slide camera film in it. And you'd take that picture and then you'd have to go get those developed and you'd get this box of slides. And then you're like holding them up to the light. And like, yeah. like man. You can't tell and you can't good. tell if they're good or not. And you're just like, put it in. You have to write your name on each slide. <laughs> And you had to put a self-addressed stamped envelope if you wanted them back, you know, like all this shit. And yeah. you'd send it in and then you'd wait around. When you remember about all the trouble that you had to go through for this stuff, this hardship develops appreciation. Nowadays, sometimes you feel like because it's so easy, you don't, it's not so appreciated. To it's think. like the difference, like, have you ever met a woman and like you hit it off really well and she's beautiful and she's funny. She has great conversationalist, all this stuff. And she's like, no, no, you know, and like you're wooing her. You have to woo her. And maybe it takes a week for you to close the deal and you make love to her. And it's awesome. That was worth every effort I had to do to do that. Well, there's that feeling. And then there's, I got drunk in a bar and this girl took me in the bathroom and gave me a blowjob. That's the difference. I mean, both of them, you're getting off. Had a sexual release in but both you're missing situations. Something. There's you're not something the, missing. The deeper, yeah, you get one. You're getting your monkey brain stroked, and right. the other one you're getting a deeper appreciation. Right. So yeah. Instagram is a like is a bathroom blowjob. It's a drunk Instagram bathroom. Instagram is the bathroom, it can be a bathroom blowjob blow of, of the tattoo world. But <laughs> this, yeah. I'll say this. I mean, I think Instagram's great for great for tattooing in the sense that everybody has to push harder. Everybody has to get better. Yeah, and yeah. the other thing that I really like about Instagram, because I do Japanese work, and, and when you look at Japanese stuff in a small format, you know right away if, if it's well-designed because you're looking yeah. at a little tiny Composition-wise. Composition-wise. Yeah. yeah, and if it's readable on your little tiny screen, you probably did, did okay. Now, it could have a bunch of shitty outlines on it and nobody's ever going to know because you, right. really, you, know, you can't really see but for me, I like that. So that's one one aspect of it. But you're never going to appreciate your getting your tattoo machine in your hand when your friend just was like, "Oh, you want to do tattoos? Yeah, cool. Here, do one on me." You know, yeah, I that's just a totally ordered, different feeling. I ordered you a kit off of Amazon. Yeah, off of Amazon. Walmart, I, I went down to Walmart and bought you tat- some tattoo equipment. Yeah. No, but it's different. Like if you you know if you have to like pay some bikers carnies a bunch of money, yeah. go in there and fucking. You know, mop the floor and fucking clean the needles that we were reusing, you yeah. know? Like, that stuff's a pain in the ass, you know? And you don't even know if you're going to learn. Most yeah. of the people in that apprentice program never learned to tattoo. I mean, most of them never did. They couldn't handle the, the environment mm-hmm. and eventually got, got kicked out or, or just yeah. didn't show up again, you know? Yeah, and that environment, like, that was back when tattoo shops had a certain mystique. There was a magic to yeah. it. And that's one of the things. Now there's all these experts. like, And the magic came from the mystery. You know, like the average citizen had never, didn't know what was going on. Just like, like me walked, being afraid to go into Papa's house. Right. Like you, know? you walk into a tattoo shop and like for me, like that's when the tuning fork went off where I was like, oh, this is where I belong. 
like these are my people like without realizing it without being able to verbalize it like these are my people because like I was so fascinated by them but like it was because of that mystique like what happens how did they get there how why is it that they do this like how can they do this and like being able to slowly be accepted by these people that I admired you know now with TV shows and the internet and all this stuff the mystery has gone Ink Masters is Everybody's just like, man, do you watch those shows? I'm like, no. Well, why not? I was like, well, that's not the reality of any tattoo shop I've ever worked in. Mm-hmm. And I've worked yeah, in a bunch. Sure. And I've done it for a long time. Like that it's is just entertainment, you know? But they're like, they're showing so much. Like now people will be like, oh, well, what kind of mag are you using? Are you using an 11 mag? Mm-hmm. I'm like, listen, you're a soccer mom. There's no <laughs> reason for you to know that. Like, and like, that's so it's funny. weird for me the idea that like I remember the first time I saw Stoney Knows How mm-hmm. because I was so hot for the lake which is a documentary I don't mm-hmm, know mm-hmm. Yep. so um, I read the book there was one copy at a public library like 27 miles from where I lived and I found out about it and I went and I put it on reserve and I drove over there got it read it you know made photocopies they showed the documentary on PBS like public public broadcasting system um, at like 2 o'clock in the morning and I stood up, I stayed up with my mom's VCR, put the tape in and like recorded it so I could watch it over and over again. And now they have a remastered DVD of it that you can mm-hmm. buy from Kingpin. And I was like, I saw that and I got really mad. Bobby Love was like, you're mad because they don't have to stay up late at night? Yeah. Like, yeah, like you should have to do a little more work, right. you know, because been doing that work, you appreciate it more. Getting in there and like learning how to tattoo in a place that you, you know, you your boss might kill you. Rebecca is the girl, Rebecca Hendricks, a dear friend of ours. She, she learned with Ed as well. And Mike tried to run her over in his truck. And, and so she escaped to Chicago, went to get a job with Gypsy, right? And uh, I worked at that her, shop her too. Job, <laughs> her job interview process was, okay, you're going to do a tattoo on me. And she's like, oh, okay. And she set up to do the tattoo. Gypsy got out his pistol and set it on the station. And she's like, what's that for? And he's like, if you fuck it up, I'm going to shoot you in the foot. <laughs> <laughs> and she just came out of the carny shop. She didn't know if that guy right. was for real. So she was like, I've never been so nervous yeah. doing a tattoo. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's funny, like the mysterious thing. Uh, I got this shop in Austin called Triple Crown Tattoo. And uh, my favorite thing about the shop is that there's no windows. And there's yeah. just a, there's a glass front door, but you can't see anything. So it's still kind of funny to me. Yeah. It still happens, even with all the TV shows and all that stuff. Somebody from West Austin, like you said, maybe a soccer mom comes in and they'll open the door and they'll just kind of put their head in yeah. and look look both ways and then see that it's a really beautiful place right. and then walk in and go, huh, oh, it's really nice in here. I didn't know what I was going to find. Yeah. I, I heard this was like a biker shop. Yeah. And those people are the same ones that will say like, because Triple Crown's kind of like, I mean, it's super gentrified now, but it's kind of still in what the, the former hood of Austin, even though Austin has no thing resembling a hood, but it's there. Certainly not and anymore, people, but yeah. you're like 11th and Chacon and 12th and Chacon yeah, was Yeah, 12th and Chacon the was nightmare. The, that was the crack corner. Yeah. And, I've, and we've had Triple Crown for 13 years, so when we moved in, it was it was pretty rough. But I still like it, you know, when somebody like, like some soccer yeah. mom like that is like, is my car going to be okay outside? Yeah, yeah. And I, now, and I, I usually yeah. fuck with them and be like, well... Mm, I probably I don't know what kind of car is it ooh Mercedes <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, probably the most they'll do is take the wheels and tires yeah you should probably be okay it's like this weird little oasis but it's like it looks like a little bunker like it's this red brick square building 
That's and because they used to sell weed out of there. Right. Yeah. Before, yeah. Yeah. Before. And it's got yeah. Charles it's got, got, it's got it. a peephole. Yeah. There's a peephole. There was like a off. There's an office room. Like probably where the guy used to sell weed. He was yeah. also a bootlegger. So on yeah. Sundays, you know, when you in Texas you can't buy booze on Sundays. Yeah. He would sell sell liquor. But yeah, there's a peephole, so he could tell when somebody came in. He could peep through there right. and make sure it wasn't the police. It's just, it's perfect. Maybe one of the most beautiful shops I've ever worked in. Thanks. Playing a little bit of devil's advocate on what you were saying before, where do you think the line is between keeping the mystery and sharing to some extent for the benefit of the whole? You know, there's always something good and something bad. And in, in tattooing today, obviously, you you know, you have to say that tattooing has never been this. I wouldn't say good because you have different values, you know, to analyze, but I would say technically. And, and so where do you think the line is? What all, what all of us want is to take proper care of tattooing so mm -hmm. it can take care of us. Mm -hmm. So maybe what you're getting at is like how much information being out there is too much. Could be at some point being seen like, oh, now everybody's going to see this. Maybe not everybody should, you know, sure. but then it's, it, in its way, it's actually a good thing for the whole, you know, because then you see those things somewhere else in the world without needing to go to that shop and then it's going to inspire your tattooing better mm -hmm. and maybe you, you want to meet that person. So somehow... A certain sharing of information is beneficial. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there is a line where it becomes detrimental. That's the word, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, to to the fact that okay, maybe you shouldn't access that because then you don't you, you lack appreciation. You know, what is I that? No, I don't know. Like I kind yeah. of, I always just kind of feel like Nomar and I have talked about this before. Like I like it when a really shitty shop opens up near me. Yeah. Because then all the customers that are going to come in and waste our time, they go over there. Yeah. And when those guys can't make a living, they'll shut down. Mm. And those shitty customers will go around to another place. Mm. You know? I don't really... I'm not... Like, I don't worry too much, as much as a lot of people, about... And maybe I'm going to be proven wrong, but about there being too many tattooers. And too, I think the laws of economics are pretty good. Natural selection. Natural selection. And there was 15 shops in Austin maybe when I started mm -hmm. and now there's 150 let's say or God knows how many but also there's probably 15 times the number of tattoo customers that there were and the shops that open up that aren't any good eventually they shut down mm -hmm. the tattooers that aren't any good eventually aren't tattooed anymore or if they're in Oregon they start teaching uh, tattoo school they do they open up their own <laughs> tattoo schools but, yeah. but I think like I mean even like you know I remember uh watching the Sailor Jerry documentary and even he said there's a few good people at the top held up by a whole bunch of fucking assholes. So even back then this was a topic of conversation, right? And then like, you know, when Huck Spaulding started like selling tattoo equipment, people weren't happy about that, like just making it available to oh, no. everybody. Like, Huck Spaulding was like the Darth Vader of tattoo. <laughs> yeah. He was like he was once good. He was once Anakin and then he like turned to the dark side and was just like, Give me that money boys. <laughs> Bring on that money, you know, like, let's do it. I don't know if there was ever redemption at the end, but, you know. I think for me, like, the line is you have to be appreciative of what you're asking. One of the issues that I see with younger tattooers, and it's not just younger tattooers, it's just, like, there's, a, there's this add-to-cart generation. When I think JoJo told me that, like, mm -hmm. like... I, I call it the Pepsi generation. I want what I want and I want it right now. And JoJo's like, no, man, it's add to cart. Add to cart. Like, yeah, like if you're on Amazon, you're like, I want this, click, add to cart. I want this, click, add to cart, no effort. And then you just go, you check out. And you, I have everything that I want on its way to me. There's no appreciation of that. They're like, well, give it to me. And I'm like, well, 
Like I like I'm the kind kind of guy that if I see JD Crow out someplace because his designs made me so much money and paid paid my rent so often, like if I see JD and he's got time, I'm gonna buy him a beer, or I'm gonna take him out to dinner and say thank you because his designs like like what was it Marco? Marco. That was just like. If you, 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 you owe Leo, Leo Zaletta a hundred dollars. <laughs> if you were tattooed in the nineties and you see Leo Zaletta, just hand him a hundred dollars. Hand him a hundred bucks. Yeah, hand him a hundred bucks. He'll know. It's like, a bargain. It's a bargain. It's a bargain. Because Leo Zaletta paid my rent time and time again. That's you right. Know? That's yeah. the least we can do is give Leo Zaletta a hundred bucks. Yeah. If you were tat, if you started, if you tattooed at any point during the nineties or two thousand or two thousand, I was yeah. putting tribals on on Sixth Street. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. If I was still working down there, I'd probably still be putting some on. But man, when, when we when I went when I started working for Vanessa after I came back from Prague, I mean I had I'd made I made special needles to do the tribals. You yeah. know, I was making pullback sevens that yeah. I could outline it and fill it in and you know yeah. do a big tribal in yeah. you know half an hour. Yeah, make two or three hundred bucks on it. Which is funny because like when Scott came back from Prague, we all thought that was his last name. Scott from Prague. from Prague. Scott from Prague. Like, what the fuck kind of name is that? What is it, like, what is this, like, Dutch? What is that? Like, what is, like, it's like, that's what, what Bobby what are you talking about? He's like, I like, thought your name was Scott from Prague. From Prague. For a really long time. Like, yeah, like Mr. from Prague. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds almost French. Like, yeah. yeah. From Prague. He's like, no, man, my last name's Ellis. No, but the oh. funny, like, I don't know, like, I think some of us who, it's funny, because some of it's how it could be, like, considered sour grapes. Like, if you... You know, if you had to eat cockroaches and fucking, you know, lick the floor clean in your apprenticeship, then, you know, you see a guy that just, you know, starts with a video and one of his friends helps him and he buys the equipment off of Amazon. Some of that, right. it's a little bit sour grapes, like pisses you off. And then maybe he's better than you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and then it makes well, you but really like, pissed then off. But like, that's the thing though. Like, it's, it's interesting. Like, what, what makes a tattoo great? What makes it better? Mm-hmm. Like, is it somebody who can do these amazing technical things? But there's no soul in it, right? Or is it somebody like who, like the tattooer that's like tattooing with headphones on and doesn't know his customer's yeah, name? Just got his head down. Yeah. And he's using one of the one of the pens and he's yeah. like doing this really technically laid out like mathematical thing and he's like doing it. And I look at it and I'm like, well, it's interesting, but like there's no soul to it. Like it doesn't mean anything. Or the experience, you know, yeah. it's lacking the experience because like working with Omar is always so fun because it's the Omar show. And, and you attract those kind of people that yeah. that want that, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's some people that are just strictly ta- collecting tattoos. They don't care about the person. They don't get to know yeah. that person. At some point, you don't you don't you can't figure out what to call your customer anymore. You don't know if you're if they're your friend or if they're your customer. Right. And so you call them your customer friend. Yeah. You know, and especially doing Japanese, I'm seeing these people over and over and over right. again. And those that that relationship with my with my customers is like so important to me, you know. You bring up Bobby Love, the guy. He was a big influence on me. Yeah, me big too. Influence, and like Bob hasn't tattooed for eleven years. Hasn't done a tattoo for eleven years or something like that. And I'm willing to bet that he could pick up one of my machines and still tattoo circles around me. Like he's just a, he's a brilliant artist. And like so, when we worked together at River City, which was a busy street shop. On, on 6th Street, I'd be there and then I'd have like four or five people waiting to get tattooed and Bob would come out and he's like, hey man, how many people are waiting? I'm like, I mean, all four of those girls are waiting. I'd be doing the tattoo and cracking it up and like Bob would walk over and he goes, hey, you know, like if you don't want to wait, we can I can get you in the chair right now. And they're like, no, we're waiting for him. <laughs> yeah. And it would piss him off because yeah. he's like, dude, I tattoo so much better than Omar. <laughs> like, what's yeah. like, I can, I'm, and it, it was true. Like, it's not like, 
wasn't like he was being catty. Like, I mean, brother could tattoo way better than me. But like, after a while, he was just like, no, man, like, you bring the party. Yeah. Like, wherever you are, you are entertained. And that goes back to the way I was taught how to tattoo, that a tattoo is nothing more than a memento of an experience. Yeah. You know, like, you can get a beautiful tattoo from a guy who's an asshole. And every time you you're look never at that, gonna like it. you're never going to like it. You're mm-hmm. going to look at it and be like, and like, in all honesty, for like the first 12 years of my career, like my tattoos didn't wash off and they were, they, they looked like the thing that they were and they were mostly okay. They weren't anything to write home about. Hey, Ed like, always said, if it kind of looks like what it's supposed to be, then it's a pretty good tattoo. It's a pretty good tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I always like I've made a great I've made a great career and a great living by entertaining people. Like the tattoo was free. They were paying me large amounts of money to be entertained. Like you say, you mentioned people with headphones and stuff, you know, like getting tattooed by an asshole. It's not just otherwise you're a printer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you have a beautiful design by mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I remember and when the robots start tattooing. Those people are going to lose their jobs, and Omar and I are still going to be tattooed. Exactly. Well, and it's like you just have to have an appreciation. Like, yeah. you know, the fact is, is like we get to make a living drawing pictures on people. Yeah. You know, and like I am well aware that I am blessed and highly favored. That thing about like the appreciation, you know, when we were talking about the apprenticeship and stuff, and how is it sour grapes or mm-hmm. whatever, and some of it could be for sure, you yeah, know. Yeah, for sure. But I'll tell you, like, so Ed, you know, Ed wasn't a good artist. Ed could put on a piece of flash, and he did it with flair, with his single needle outlines, and you know he would make it look cool. And but what one thing that back to appreciation, you know, about my apprenticeship was Ed would do stuff like you'd show up, and your machine would be in pieces on the countertop, and your shift started in 15 minutes because he did it to me a couple times. And the first time I'm just I'm looking at my machine, I'm like. Ed, what the fuck is this? He's like, it's your machine. I was like, why'd you take it apart? He's like, well, you know how to put it back together, right? Because he had a machine class once a week on Wednesdays where he talked about the machine. Tattoo machine is just basically a very sophisticated doorbell. (laughs) That's how he would start every class. After a while, you're like, okay, come on, we've heard that before. (laughs) Anyway, but then I said, Ed, I got, you know, I got to start tattooing in 15 minutes. He's like, well, then you better get busy then. Yeah, you better get it on. You know, we're learning how to make needles, um, all of those things, or just the fact that a portrait would come in, and I'd been tattooing for three months, and he's like, I'm like, Ed, I can't do this portrait. He's like, why not? He's like, because I've never done one. He's like, well, you better get busy learning. And so now, for instance, things happen that I see with other tattoo, with tattooers that didn't have that, that kind of a background. If something happens to their tattoo machine, like let's say they leave their machines in the hotel and you try to hand them the liner, like, here, use mine. You know, I got an extra liner. They panic because they've only, they've never, like I can tattoo with absolutely anything that goes up and down. People will panic because they've never had to use a bad tattoo machine and figure out how to make it make a good tattoo. Mm -hmm. My apprentice, one of my apprentices, Annie, uh, Annie Alonzi, when she was starting out, I gave her this tattoo machine that I had. Uh, she she outlined with it for a while, and she's just like, man, you know, it's really, making a tattoo, making a nice outline is really hard. Eventually, she got some nice machines from uh, Seth or Shag or somebody, maybe Corey Rogers, and uh, she did her first tattoo with it, and she was like, holy shit, 
this is this machine is awesome. That machine you gave me sucks. And I was like, yeah, I gave you my worst one. And she's like, that's so mean. And I'm like, no, it's not. Now you can do a now you can do a good tattoo even with a shitty tattoo yeah. machine. What happens if you started with that one and it wasn't wasn't running right and you didn't know what to do and all of a sudden you can't make your tattoo, you know? Yeah. So so there's those kind of things that are less about like just some idea of appreciation for appreciation's sake and things that, you know, actually build you into the kind mm -hmm. of tattooer that you are. Because to be a tattooer, you have to be a lot of things. And one thing that I that I learned from my apprenticeship was how to overcome diversity. Mm -hmm. And for instance, like Annie, when she came to start her apprenticeship, she was she was scared to drive somewhere. And she was a little bit afraid to like get lost and she didn't really drive. She's a she rides her bicycle. She's a cyclist. And uh, you know, so we so I, I saw that and was like you know, I'm going to do whatever I can to get her over that. So we would send her, go pick up my, my dry cleaning, go over here and get us lunch. We want it from, no, we want it from that one. I know they have another location over here, but that's the better location. Way on the other we side like of town. Yeah. Take my car. Don't no. crash it. I could see that doing all that stuff helped a little bit in the sense that when you're a tattooer, you have to be in charge or your customers will fucking walk all over you. I mean, all tattooers know that, you know, your, your customers cannot be in charge. You know, there's only one person driving during the tattoo. So if you, sh if you start out as an apprentice and you're super timid and this happens, I know a bunch of tattooers like this. They're too timid to be tattooers, but they're tattooing anyway. And they're not going to, they're not going to really enjoy it the way that they should be able to enjoy it because they're not doing it right. Worrying if your boss is going to kill you, having to clean the bathroom, having to work until six in the morning and then show up at 11 o'clock, sweep, you know, sweep all the cigarette butts off the street, go pass out flyers, all that bullshit that we had to do. It made us like sort of be in charge of that domain. Build your immune system. You knew, yeah, build your immune system. You, you were in charge of every aspect of that shop. If you went out on the front and somebody was fucking doing something stupid out there, that's your front because I fucking swept it up. So you're out there making a mess, get the fuck out, yeah. you know? You know, that's something that I think is is missing from from a lot of a lot of people's training. I mean, most people don't have any of that stuff anymore. Most people don't know how to make needles, you know? Most people right. don't most people don't know how to clean tubes because they never use steel tubes. And if that stuff goes away, like making your own needles went away, but Understanding what Grimes doing when he's putting out these new kind of cool needles that, like I said, we were making back then in the '90s. Right. What that is and why it's cool and how it works and why it's important and you know what do I do with it? That kind of thing, you know. But yeah. I don't think like if you're if you're if you're mentor, like I said, like I, I I got a couple guys that have worked for me that had bad experiences with apprenticeships where they're like, yeah, you got to eat these cockroaches and you two guys got to mm -hmm. make out. And then then he, one guy ended up quitting because they they told him that he had to have sex with this gross prostitute. And he's like, you know what? I quit. Fuck you. You know, yeah. I'm not gonna let you guys get me in in bad trouble in my life just to right. make yeah. you just to make you guys giggle. You know. Yeah. So it's not like that kind of bullshit because that's just hazing and that's that's pretty that's that, pretty that's, childish. That's, that's bullying. Yeah. yeah that's that's bullying. That's bullying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the yeah. other stuff is really important. You know, and a lot of people are missing out on that. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. Like, if you don't know your equipment, if you don't know, like, I run my shop the way all the shops that I worked in were run. Like, where like this is our pirate ship. This is, we take care of the ship, so the ship will take care of us. It was Lyle that taught me, like, you take care of tattooing, tattooing will take care of you, you know? But the thing is, is like, you have to realize, like, tattooing is a bitter mistress. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't let anything get in, get in between her and you, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like one of those things where you have to really, really take care of it. You have to really, really love it. Like, the last guy, like, I've only taught two people to tattoo in 28 years. And the last guy, this guy named Chris Jacobson, 
really proud of him. He's a super good tattooer, um, solid, all these things. And I was really, I was a lot easier on him than I was on it. Like, I used to send apprentices that weren't my apprentice home crying, like on the regular. Like, you had to earn it with me. Like, you had to prove every day that you wanted to be there. I was an asshole. Like, grown men. Like, fuck you, I'm leaving. <laughs> you know, but I was really, really hard. I'm like, Bobby Love had Turco. When Turco was yeah. an apprentice, like, this guy's nickname was Monkey Boy. Because we'd be like, hey, Monkey Boy, won't you monkey up that ladder and clean the rafters? Shoot monkey on over the store and give me some smokes. Like, all this stuff. And Diamond Glenn walked in and he goes, oh, man, that's unfortunate. We're like, what? He goes, that's how tattoo nicknames happen. Turco the Monkey Boy. Turco the Monkey Boy. sideshow. Yeah. yeah, he got really lucky because his little brother found this old sideshow banner and said, Tur- captured alive Turco the Monkey Boy. So it got shortened from Monkey Boy to Turco, which is, has a little cooler ring to it than mm-hmm. Monkey Boy. But, like, one night we were tattooing and he was still an apprentice. And I was like, hey, Monkey Boy. Go get, like, I need more paper towels. Like, go grab me paper towels. And he's like, all right. And, like, this girl was getting tattooed by, I think, by Mike Payne. So the guy that we worked with. Um, this girl was getting tattooed. And she started going, yeah, monkey boy. All this stuff. And I was like, hey, where do you work? She goes, what? I was like, where do you tattoo at? She's like, I, I don't. I was just like, so you don't get to fucking talk to him like that. <laughs> I get to talk to him like that because I'm a fucking tattooer. And he's a fucking tattoo. He's going to be a tattooer. You don't get to fucking talk to him like that. And like Turco told me years later, after because he still tattoos, and like years later he was like, dude, that's when I like suddenly all the hard work, everything, every shitty thing that you had ever done to me, like all became worth it because like you stood up for me. Like no, he's my he's he's, he's with my, us. He's my whipping boy. Yeah, but like no, yeah, it was like him. he's in our tribe. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. he's in our gang. You don't get to fucking talk to him like that ever. Nobody talks to him like that but me. And the only reason I get to do it is because he's learning. You know? And I won't do it after, like, once you once he's on shift, I'll probably still give him some shit. And he's still, like, whenever I see him, it's still Monkey Boy. You know? I think I'm one of the last people that, like, doesn't call him. To, like, hey, what's up, Monkey Boy? You know? But it's, like, one of those things. So, like, I wasn't that hard on my last apprentice. And it was because I tried it differently because I really wanted to help him not be a thug, you know, not like, and you know, his skin is still pretty thin, but he's okay. But like going back to like the machine thing, I fuck with him and show him like all the stuff about machines, take his machines apart, make him put it back together. Um, and one day, one of the guys at the shop, like he had left his drawer unlocked and like, guys, I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. And so he took tape and he put it on the contact screw. To where it was just like wouldn't make contact. Chris set up for this tattoo, and when it hit the put the foot switch, and nothing happened. And like he's like, oh man, he's gonna freak out. He's gonna freeze. It's not. And all Chris did was went. <laughs> I just I was just like, oh, that's my boy. <laughs> that's my boy. <laughs> like, yeah, that's that's cool. the thing like, you talked about. You know, yeah. like once you, it's like the army. You know, like once you go through that deconstruct and reconstruct process, then you become that guy. You become like this happened. Whatever, you know? Yeah, I remember I was tattooing one time at, at Ed's in the underground one, and my one of my springs broke. And I was like, shit, I have one tattoo machine. Right. Yeah. I was like, Ed, my spring broke. I'm like, well, respring it real quick. Tell your, tell your customer to have a smoke. Yeah. And I did it. And I knew how to do it because we had a machine class every mm. week, you know? And he took my machine apart and left it laying in pieces, you know? Yeah, yeah so, I mean, that stuff's super important. It, it was, it's really funny because, like, what at you know for probably ten years after my uh, experience with the Carnies, I didn't really appreciate it very much. Like I didn't, I like I kind of didn't. I mean, I just didn't like those guys. Mm-hmm. I didn't have nothing to do with them. I was like, these guys are scoundrels. They barely taught me how to tattoo, and it took a long time before I realized like how valuable that experience was. 
A, just to be around those weird motherfuckers, you know? Right. Like, Ed is just like, Ed is a cartoon character. I mean, this dude is like a caricature of a caricature of an old wizard biker tattooer, man. Yeah. I was writing something about where I came from and stuff, and, and I was just like, ah, you know, it took me a while, but now I really, you know, I really miss hearing biker stories and carny stories. You know, like, that stuff is golden. You know, some, Omar and I were laughing this morning about... We're like, man, some of the stories Ed used to tell. He had this one that was, uh, it was like, from, yeah, you know, on the carnival midway, you gotta, you gotta learn how to wrestle a bear. You know, there's the bear show. And if you had to be the guy to wrestle the bear, you had to know exactly what you were doing. And there's always a female bear. Like, really? Why is it a female bear? Well, you start out and you kind of dance around a little bit. And you give her some swats in the face. And then you go in, and she's, she's pretty cuddly, you know. You go in and grab her, and then you have to stick your whole hand inside her vagina. <laughs> I was like, what? Let you get on top of her, and the whole crowd will think that you won. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you're, like, as, you know, as he's telling you this, you're just like, this is probably not true at all. Right. But it is so fucking entertaining right, yeah. that I don't even care anymore. But one day I'll try it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we know how to wrestle bears if it ever comes to it. Yeah. But the thing is, like, so the bear, like, there's, like, the, the traveling carnival would have bears, they'd have bear wrestling. And so what would happen is they would have, uh, they'd have plants, they'd have shills, and then the marks would be there. And so Ed was a little dude, and they'd, he'd go into the town ahead of the carnival and just kind of hang out. And the carnival would show up and show up, so he was a plant. He was a little dude, and he'd pay, they'd give you $100 if you could pin the bear. Hundred dollars if you can pin the bear. Like it only costs you twenty bucks to try. They're like, oh, okay. Nobody wants to wrestle a fucking bear. It's a fucking bear. <laughs> and so like everybody's like, oh yeah, no, you should do it. You should. You're strong. You should. Blah, blah, blah. And then finally, like you know, this little hand's like, I'll try it. And it was Ed. And it was Ed. <laughs> and he'd like hand him the twenty, which was part of the part of the prop, and like get in there and do it. And then they'd be like. Holy shit, you know, like, and then they'd hand him a make a big show, hand him a hundred dollars, and he'd walk out, and then everyone's like, Well, if that little fucker can do it, I'll play. And then they're just raining 20s. That was the hustle of the bear. The nobody, bear nobody can do it, nobody can fucking do it unless you, unless you know the bear. Like, that's the thing. Like, Ed would have to travel with the bear so the bear knew him and knew, like, Ed's gonna stick his hand in my pussy. <laughs> you know? And I like it when Ed does that. It's real knobby. You know? Maybe, maybe that's how he got good at satisfying his cats. Oh my God. That's the worst. <laughs> Fuck. Ed had a thing for bestiality a little bit. <laughs> well, he wasn't so suburban. Like, yeah. that's what it was. It wasn't like, you He was know, a country boy. He was a country boy. He was kind of one of those things. Like, you gotta shut him up. <laughs> what you guys would say if you had to think about something to help you the most, something that you still remember, you've been told, or you heard, or you've seen, that made you grow the most under any aspect. And you still today remember like, oh man, always that come back to my head when, go with I that remember one. Are you crying? I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Bobby, a lot of shit goes back to Bobby Love Bobby somehow, because yeah. he was a good friend of ours, but, and, and you know, influential and everything. We looked up to him a great deal, because he was such a such a good tattooer, and such, just like a cool dude, you know, like... Oh, the epitome of cool. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, what I was, uh, that was my first, because I, you know, I went from 6th Street, and I was just struggling, you know, trying to find my way, trying to figure out how to do a decent tattoo, and then I went over to Prague, and I got to take my time, you know, and I got, got a little better, and then I came back, and I went straight back to 6th Street, and uh, back, you know, it was 2000 when I came back from Prague, 
and it was just tattoos were just booming down there, you know. And so I definitely got money signs in my eyes, and I started like I told you before about uh, you know, making those pullback sevens so that I could do those tribals and those old English letters so fast. That was because I was focused on making money. Because if there's 10 people in line, there's a few things that evolves around. First thing was I really cared for Charles and Vanessa, the owners, and I wanted to make them as much money as I could. B, I also had dollar signs in my eyes and I wanted to make as much money as I could. So my goal was to try to do as many tattoos as I could. One night I said something to Bob that we were outside, he was smoking a cigarette, and I said like, I might break my record doing 15 tattoos tonight or something like that. I was bragging or like saying something about how much money I'd made or how many tattoos I'd done. And Bob's a no bullshit guy. Like when, when a thought comes into his head, it comes immediately out of his mouth and there's no, there's no filter at all. And he just looked at me and he said like, why don't you start worrying about trying to do good tattoos instead of trying to do fast tattoos? And I just kind of like, because uh, uh, this is a guy that I really looked up to. And I didn't really, I didn't really, like, I thought I was doing kind of okay tattoos. Right. And he just kind of told me right there, like, you're doing shitty tattoos. Like, come on, get your shit together. And that made a huge impression on me. And I still, like, I still think of that. Anytime I'm, even this weekend at the convention, you were there, I wasn't feeling good, and the girl wanted to get a tattoo, and I, I told her I would do it, and then I did my first tattoo, wasn't feeling good, and told her, you know what? I don't think it's the right day for me to tattoo you. It comes from that because I didn't want to do a bad tattoo on this person. You know, I want to do good tattoos. Because doing a bad tattoo makes you feel bad. And then I always think about Bob because if I do a bad tattoo, there's something motivating me other than getting that job mm -hmm. done really nicely. Yeah. You know, I've actually yeah. said that to, uh, to a couple of guys in, in the last however many years, the same thing. And I would say, my friend Bobby once told me, why don't you try to do good tattoos instead of worrying about making a bunch of money? Yeah. Yeah, that was like Bob had the same conversation with me. Right. We were, like, we were in Austin having drinks, and he was mm -hmm. like, that was one of those things where like I was always real concerned about having that uncomfortably large knot of money in my pocket. And Bob was like, why do you have to do that many tattoos a night? I'm like, because they're there. I can't. He's like, you don't have to do all the tattoos. <laughs> you can let some of them go away. You can throw a few back. He's like, and why do you, like, slow down? Where's the fire? You know, working in a street shop with an up system, like, yeah. do they have up systems anymore? I mean, we still use it at All-American. Yeah. Like, What's an up system? So the up system, at, in, in the States anyway, let's say there's six guys working. So whoever gets there first and unlocks the door is up first. He gets the first tattoo that walks in the door. And then whoever gets their second gets the second tattoo. Whoever gets the third tattoo, you know, like in that in that order. So if there's if the three of us are on shift, I open the shop. You come in after me. Scott comes in after me. He's up third. He gets the third tattoo that walks through the door. Now, if Scott, if seven people walk in at the same time, and they all want to get tattooed, we all sit down our first tattoos. We all figure we're at least going to do two tattoos, unless you pull one that's bigger or whatever mm -hmm. it's going to take you more time so whoever's done first is up so my thing in the 90s was like i'm gonna get done first because i'm gonna be up and like there was actually like kind of some like you would know who you were working with so you would sell i would sell tattoos for guys because some guys didn't want to sell tattoos mm -hmm. and i wanted to work i yeah. wanted to tattoo again so i'd be <laughs> exactly. like i'm gonna go out and like bob used to love it. he's like dude i loved being on shift with you i didn't have to do anything yeah because some people don't some yeah. people didn't know how to talk to yeah. talk to the customers you know yeah. so i'd come out i'd schmooze them like hey bob i got you these this butterfly so i'd go do that and so i'd be up i'd do that and like then sometimes there'd be a guy like that 
you'd sell him a tattoo and you knew, like, you knew it was like, oh, he really likes pretty girls. And so he's going to slow down and he's going to, like, take himself off, off the line so he can, like, milk it and, like, talk to this girl. So you're like, sweet, you go do that. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be over here doing this. Mm -hmm. And so it was, like, kind of a weird, I mean, it's a carny, cutthroat. Yeah, that we didn't get to let any tattoos go out the door. No, man. I think I told you, I was talking to a customer when I was working with Ed, and uh, Mike happened to be there, and I was talking to a customer, and he's talking about getting this tattoo, and man, I was like turning it on, you know, the big boss was there, and I was like, you know, taking it down off the wall and like wrapping it around his arm, like, man, this tribal is going to look so good on your arm, man, like you're going to feel so tough, you're going to see it in the mirror, just right there, dude, it's going to look so cool on you, man, let's fucking do it. How much is it going to be? That's going to be 300 bucks. Oh, man, I'm going to have to go get some money. And yeah, okay, man. And the guy left. And Mike came up to me. He's like, what the fuck was that? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, the guy, he's, he said he's going to come back, you know. He's going to go get money. He's like, that guy had money. Give me 300 bucks. I was like, wait a minute. Your cut's only 150 He's like, we ain't going to do it again. And I didn't. Yeah. You didn't You'll let learn. anybody, you you didn't let anybody out, leave. Out. Nobody walks out. Yeah. Nobody walks out the door. They can walk out, but they're going to walk out without their money. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they get a tattoo. It was, yeah. It yeah. was, it was about turning on that carny hustler trying yeah. like, that was the thing. Like I, you know, like I went through a while where like I was hustling watches off of people. Like yeah. I, was, I would get tipped watches. I had to buy boxes of watches. Or ladies bras. I remember yeah, that. You had a bra phase. No, that was Mike Payne that had the bra. Oh phase. yeah, Mike. Mike. Yeah, you just would talk. You, I remember one time we were tattooing in uh, in, in uh, on Sixth Street, and and uh, I guarantee you, some girl left a bra there at True Blue. Oh, sure. Or she yeah. did the ta- like did the tattoo with no shirt on or something like yeah. that, just because out of a dare or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was all kinds of funny. It was shit yeah, like yeah I was it'd be there. I would do these things where. You know, because like people are people get really nervous, you know, and like so I would say shit that made absolutely no sense in that situation to th- and it would throw them off and then like suddenly so they'd laugh and like it would it would even out and their nervousness would go away. I'd be like, yeah, I'm really nervous about getting this tattoo. I'd be like, oh yeah, man, I'm really nervous about doing it too. Like, just get set up. <laughs> like, so, um, do you want to just get started now or should we make out a little bit? <laughs> and they're like, what? I was like, let's just get started. You know, like, you know, and like they'd be like, oh, like, be like, you know, oh, we need to do this, do that. And like, well, I mean, if you're more comfortable, you just take your shirt off, you know, and just do that. And like, sometimes they'd be like, you know what, that would make me more comfortable. And like, they would just take their clothes off while I was tattooing. And like, Scott would look back, and I just yeah. like, and like, her friend would have no shirt on, and like, they're both topless. Like, why, why is that girl shirtless when you're tattooing her forearm? I don't know. I don't know. Who am I to say? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was, it was a different, and I think Austin is a unique microcosm in that, that people are very open minded. There's, it's like a melting pot because the university's there and like the capital and so all these people. It's where all the hippies live. It's where all the hippies in live. Texas. All the cosmic cowboys. But yeah, I mean, there was like one time where I was doing a cover up on this girl's ankle and uh, I drew it on with a pen. It was like a I can't remember what it was. It was a cat's head with like dice in the eyes, like snake eyes, and it was very '90s, you know, flame. And I went. I was like, okay, just get as comfortable as you need to be. And I turn over and like set my machine up and I turn back and she's got her top off. She's just like laid back, like looking at me. I was like, are you comfortable? She goes, yeah, very. I was like, all right, let's get it on, you know? <laughs> and I walked in the back and the guys were like, I thought you were tattooing her ankle. I was like, I am. Why is her shirt off? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> like the, Women's clothes fall off around me. Like, the carnies. Yeah. Uh, that happens. The carnies yeah. opened up a shop right next to this, uh, like a massage parlor, whorehouse kind of thing up in North Austin where Pete, yeah, yeah. Pete took over that shop yeah. eventually or took over that space. But uh, it was right next to the to the whorehouse, you know. And Mike told us, "You gotta tattoo all those all those hookers over there for free if they want it." 
that's the deal. I already told him. Okay. I was like, what are you getting out of it? You know, like <laughs> I had an aerobics instructor come into River City and she was like, and that's how long ago it was there was aerobics instructors. Um, <laughs> she came in, she goes, I want something kind of cute and sassy and sexy like me. I was like, okay, cool, bet. What do you want? So I want a sun and I want a wave. And so like, I just like drew this little sun, like the size of like a 50 cent piece and like, you know, put a little wave inside of it. I was like, what do you, oh, that's great. Where do you want it? On my ankle? I was like, cool. So I get her on the table and her friend wants the Brooklyn Bridge. And I think Forrest was doing it. So Forrest gets the bridge thing. They're both on tables, both ankles sticking it towards us. And like, we're doing these tattoos. I'm doing the tattoo. And she's like, mm, mm. Mm. I'm like, you okay? She goes, yeah, I'm all right. Doing it. Mm. 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 I was like, okay, doing the tattoo. <sighs> I was like, are you a little better than just all right? And she was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, okay, so I'll go back to the tattoo and I, gl I glance up again and she's like got really tight like spandex pants on. Like yoga pants before they were yoga pants, like that kind of thing. I see, she sees me looking and she's like rubbing her pussy. <laughs> like while I'm doing the tattoo and, and like she sees that I'm looking and she like moves her hand up and she starts sliding it <laughs> into her pants and I'm like okay alright and like me and this woman are sharing a moment at this point like we have locked eyes and like no no nothing is going to break that concentration like we are we are locked in I'm holding her ankle still holding the machine it's probably still running you know like <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and then, and then I re then I hear, "What the fuck are you doing?" And we look over, and it's her friend has seen what she's doing, and like I didn't realize like every dude had stopped tattooing and was watching this chick play with herself. <laughs> and like as soon as her friend goes, "What the fuck are you doing?" You're struggling, and I just go, "Dog, oh! <laughs> you're ruining it." <laughs> fuck oh the Omar, the Omar That's show? one thing I miss from working downtown in Austin is just the crazy people that that would come in there. This girl came in one time and but she was just like Latina girl, like real like mm, spicy and salty. And she, she sat down and the first thing she said is, I've been a call girl since I was 13. It's like, really? No shit. Wow. How'd you <laughs> yeah. get into that? You know? And she was kind of telling me her story and she's getting a, a rosary around her ankle. And you know, the cross that has the, the kind of club shape mm -hmm. on the top with the three little mm -hmm. knobs. So I had that cross and I got down to the to that cross and, and I told her, I was like, top of that cross kind of looks like a penis. And she goes, ooh, why don't you put one of those dots up where the pee hole would be? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and I did it. And she goes, oh, that looks real good. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I think you have just defiled your rosary. It's not going to work anymore. Yeah. It's funny how you remember this stuff after such a long time, you know, like yeah. what we were saying, like the people, you remember the people? Well, yeah, I mean, people. it's one of those things like, you know, like on the place like 6th Street in the era that we were in it, like, yeah, there was like all these really funny stories and all that stuff, but it was also like a dangerous place. Mm. Like there was a dance club across the street from the tattoo shop that like they got shut down because there was a knife fight inside. They lost their liquor license. So they couldn't sell beer or booze anymore because there was like this big gang fight inside the, sh inside the club. And so it became a bring your own beer place. I was, we were standing, at, we were on the second floor so you could look down on the street and like kind of check the action if you weren't tattooing. I was like, and there was this dude like walking, it was like all white, all dressed out in white, you know, brand new sneaks, white pants, white shirt, and he's carrying like two 
paper bags full of 40s. And he's like walking towards the club and this fucking car came up and just fucking gunned him down. Damn. And like, you know, broken 40s and like the dude didn't die, you know, but like it was, I just remember like there was that, like that, that could happen at any time down there. Like, cause it was Shit still, could happen to you inside the shit could shop. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, we were on the second floor was... There was like a flight of stairs, a little landing on a flight of stairs coming up the other way. And like we used to throw people down those stairs all the time. And we were, it got to be a point where it was like playing pool where you try to like bank them. Like you try to hit, make them hit the landing so hard that they would like go down the other flight of stairs <laughs> and like make the corner. Mary Clancy was the best floor girl I've ever worked with. Like she was amazing. And she could never have a boyfriend because like she'd work every Friday and Saturday night. And like her boyfriends would always be like, why do you want to work there? Why? Like we want to go to the show. I want to go here. She's like, I can't. I'm working. And one of her boyfriends one time was just like, well, what's it like? It's like, it's like I've got six older brothers and mom and dad are away from the weekend and they're throwing a party every <laughs> single weekend. <laughs> and that's what River City was on Friday and Saturday night. I remember this one time and like she knew she was perfectly safe because she had six big brothers. And all she had to do was hear like say one of our names and she would just hear tattoo machines at the counter and like feet coming towards her. And this one time I was drawn, everybody else was tattooing, and she was in the hallway by the top of the stairs, and this young drunk dude was like hitting on her, and like she's like, you gotta go, you gotta go. And I, all I hear is like, Omar, and he was standing right at the top of the stairs, he goes, what are you gonna do, fat boy? And I just put two hands right in the middle of his chest and just fucking threw him backwards down the stairs. So I was like, that, fucking hustled out and like ran away, and we never saw him again, you know? I didn't kill him, you know? He, he got up and ran away. That was River City's reputation. We held no truck for, for foolishness, you know? If you acted up in our house, we were gonna fucking regulate. Like, that was just one of those things. Yeah, like with this one time, Diamond Glenn was in there. Glenn was like, he was an older Texas fucking badass. Had worked with the Shaws, had worked with fucking Wasowski, like all these guys. Um, knew everybody, knew fucking Mike Malone, like all this shit. Um, and Glenn was like, I know, never want to be rich and famous. I'll be well off and well known. And we're in there and these fucking Mexican dudes come in and he's like, hey Holmes, how much for this? He's like, $180. Guy's like, no man, 80. Glenn's like, all right, 200. He goes, no man, I said 80. He goes, yeah, I said 220. And he's like, he goes, you know who the fuck you're talking to? I'm like, yeah, cheap motherfucker can't afford a tattoo. <laughs> He's like, oh man, what are you gonna fucking do, man? Like, I'm gonna fucking come over there. And like, Glenn just reached out and grabbed a baseball bat. The kid goes, what are you gonna do with that, old man? And he like tossed it to him. He goes, you're gonna fucking need that. <laughs> now you can come one at a time or all at once. Don't give a fuck to me. Now, let's get it on. <laughs> and like, the kid's like, oh. He's like, get the fuck out of my shop. And like, the guy sets the bat down and they fucking exit it. And I like walked out. I'm like, Glenn, what the fuck are you doing, dude? <laughs> He goes, well, you were right by the shotgun. I was like, why are you trying to make me shoot people? <laughs> like, yeah, you were right by the shotgun. I knew you had it. I was like, yeah, but fuck, dude. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, no pressure there. Yeah. Fuck, man. Fuck, man. A movie. You can make a movie out of this. Guys, I think we might have to go to the airport soon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was very fun. Another day, another country. Yeah. Where people can find you apart from Montpellier, Montpellier drinking whiskey in the corner of the boot. That's usually a good place to find us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I live in Prague at the moment. Uh, I'm on an extended, I don't know what you call it, extended sabbatical residency, work mm. residency. So you can find me at Pro in Prague at One Love Tattoo or at Trebo Tattoo. Um, and when I'm not there, I'm going to be back in Austin. I don't do too many shows, but 
here, there, and the other place. What about you, Omar? Um, most of the time at All American Tattoo in Salem, Oregon, unless the guys that work for me fire me, because uh, they like to do that when I'm on the road. They, okay. they seem to make more money when I'm not there. So they're like, no, no, you don't have to come back right away. It's fine. <laughs> Stay on the road. You're having fun. And you can find me on Instagram at Omar Edmison Tattooer. And hopefully soon back in Europe again. I imagine so. I'm also like part of the reason why I did this is um, like Lyle Tuttle was a really a huge influence in my life and a friend of mine and a mentor. And he, when he passed, I was like, he tattooed on all seven continents. Like all seven, and like I was driving down to his service with Lefty Lapuma, like dude, all seven continents. He goes, yeah, man, yeah. I was like, how bad do you want to like do all seven? He goes, yeah, dog, we got to do that shit. So me and Lefty tattooed seven stars on our hands, and so every new continent that we go to, we put a red circle around them. Nice. And uh, I was like, dude, that means Antarctica. He goes, oh fuck, I know it does. <laughs> <laughs> like Lefty, don't want to go to Antarctica. Down there. He's gonna go to Antarctica with me. Is but there a tattoo like, shop in Antarctica? Fuck no. <laughs> and then you're gonna have to do like. Uh... Lyle's the only one. Lyle's the only one who's ever tattooed on Antarctica. You're gonna have to put together like a shelter or something tattoo party. Yeah, yeah. I think it's one of those things. I actually did some research. There's a company that'll mm. that'll take us down there and like. We have to. We leave out of uh, Chile and we go down through uh, Drake's Passage and we hit the the peninsula that comes up towards Argentina, and then you're on the Antarctica. Like I met the woman that he did the tattoo on, like in Antarctica at his service. Yeah. Yeah. He had this whole. He had made this whole rig, you know, battery operated rig and like all this stuff, pretty badass. Yeah. But that was the thing. I was just like, you know, like I had never been to Europe, and I was just like, man, fucking Lyle's been everywhere. Like I'm fucking forty six years old. I've been a lot of places in North and Central America, you know. Like I was, I was like, I'm not going to Europe. I'm not going to Europe, you know. Like they won't like me there. And I was like, well, I gotta do it, you know. And I found the thing that I found is like we're all the same. There's drunk kids that throw lawn chairs on top of statues in New Orleans, and there's drunk kids in Montpelier that throw lawn chairs on top of statues. I mean, that's I mean, Diamond Clinton is like, you know, human beings start tattooing themselves when the the fur fell off, so. <laughs> We gotta, gotta mark it up. Keep it going. <laughs> Guys, thank you very much. Hope to see yeah, you soon. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very and, much. Uh, see you as always. Let's pack it up. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Thank you, guys. Cool. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. I hope you had as much fun as I had recording this episode. Stay tuned for the release of the new ones. You can follow the updates on the Instagram page, Tattoo Tales Podcast, and on my personal one, Steph Bustin. Share if you liked it, and remember that in September, there will be the launch of my new project, the Tattoo Fun Club. I've selected over 200 artists, amongst the very best, to decorate Japanese paper fan, celebrating the old-timers that came before us and contributed to make tattooing what it is today. The artworks will be exhibited at the London Tattoo Convention, 27, 28, 29 September 2019, and auctioned online afterwards to raise money for kids' charity. You'll be able to participate worldwide to acquire the unique originals of Philip Liu, Freddie Corbin, Juan Puente, Timothy Oyer, Oriyoshi the third, and the list goes on and on. For details, check our Instagram page, Steph Bastian Presents. Have an awesome day.